Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there are some available on the tables behind the black screens, and if you really need one, you can take it home as well. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all today, especially since it's Labor Day and you all still came to church. Thank you so much. It's great to see you all this morning. Hey, I just want to take a second and extend a special thank you to, to everyone here who is committed to the flourishing of our city um, and is working to make sure that um, goods are, are distributed well, that the vulnerable in our city are flourishing and have an opportunity to do so. Thank you for being a part of that. And before we dive into the sermon, I just want to offer a quick prayer in the spirit of Labor Day weekend to remember those who have been a part of uh, bringing our city back to life and, and uh, engaging in that way. So let's pray. Father, thank you for gifting us in such unique ways, giving us the ability to contribute to what you're doing in this world. Uh, Lord, you have told us in your word to pray for the prosperity of our city, because if it prospers, we will too. So we ask, Father, that you would bless the hands of those who have contributed to this city, um, to bringing it back to life, and to being a part of its flourishing. Thank you, God, um, that you have resourced us to do this. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a series. Just a couple weeks, we do this about once a year. We take a second to step aside and remember who we are as a church and where we're going as a church. And what we talked about last week, and we'll do this week and next week as well, actually comes out of a, a question that was asked by our campus pastor team uh, a while back. They kind of said, well, we've got this mission statement, and, and from the very beginning of the church, way back in the late 80s, when our current senior pastor, Tom, and his wife, Liz, started Christ Community, we've had this mission statement ever since then that's remained unchanged, and it's this, that we desire to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and our world for Jesus Christ. And that's a great mission statement, but we wonder, well, what if we get caught in an elevator with somebody? And they're like, what is Christ community all about? Well, are we going to recite this thing? And if we do, will they even understand what it means? So we came up with this, or the campus pastor team, rather, came up with this. These three multiplyings, we call them, that will help anybody who asks or wants to know what Christ community is about. First, we're about multiplying churches. We talked about this last week. We believe that the best place for someone to become a disciple of Christ, to meet Jesus, is in the context of a local church. So we want to make sure that there's space for that. 
The second is we're about multiplying disciples. And that's what we're going to talk about today, so I won't step on my own toes. The third, <laughs> the third thing is that we're about multiplying leaders. And we'll talk about that next week, so I won't talk too much about that. But I do love how we just have this nice cycle that gets created by this. That when there's space for people to come and meet Jesus Christ, be in a community that's submitted to his word and his name, then we see the multiplication of disciples. We see people get into a fierce and loving faith with God that grows. And as that faith grows and as they're discipled, they become leaders in the church. They begin to contribute in unique ways. And as they grow in that ability, we send them out to multiply churches, and on and on it goes. So this is what we're talking about these three weeks. This week we're in step two of that. We're going to be talking about multiplying disciples. We'll talk about multiplying disciples. And I wonder, when you hear the word disciple... What comes to your mind? Like a picture or a word? What comes to your mind? I'm actually really curious about this. So just a couple people shout out. When you hear the word disciple, what comes to your mind? Following Jesus. Jesus. Discipline. That's good. Student. Student. Love it. A band. I noticed noticed nobody said beard. I was expecting that to come right off your tongue. Um, Thank you. Fisherman. Fisher of men. Love it. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, so when we think of a disciple, maybe, maybe we have a lot of different things that come to mind. When you think of the original people that followed Jesus around, but a lot of times, and I don't know if you're like me, I think of someone who just leads a really boring life, right? They never eat anything that tastes good. They never do anything that's fun, right? All they do is they sit in a dark room with a candle and read the Bible all day long, 24-7, right? But a disciple, a disciple is actually someone who it's, it's, quite, it's just a lot easier to define than that. A disciple is someone whose faith in God endures all things. A disciple is someone whose faith in God endures all things. And we're going to see that in our text this morning. If you have your Bible, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But I'm going to spend a little bit of extra time in context today um, to, for us to know exactly what's going on in Ephesus, in the city where this church is, which is going to help us understand just how remarkable this prayer is that Paul prays over this congregation. So Paul, Paul's a church planter, right? Paul believed, and we believe right along with him, like I said, that the church is, the local church is the best place for people to meet Jesus Christ. And he believed it so much that he spent years of his life walking all throughout Asia Minor and Greece. In every city he came upon, he would preach the gospel, and people would be converted, and he'd organize them into a church. And Ephesus is one of these cities. It's on his third and his final missionary journey where Paul finds his way finally to Ephesus and stays there for almost three years, preaching the gospel, organizing a church. Now, to get this story that I want us to hear in a little bit, we need to also know a little bit about Ephesus, about what's going on in that city. Ephesus is a really big deal as a city, economically, politically, culturally. They were kind of like the capital, like the county seat of this region they were in. So a lot of high-ranking political officers worked there. Um, They were also a port city, so they controlled the flow of goods into their region. But the most unique thing about Ephesus was a temple. Some of you may know about this. This temple It's actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, although now all that's left of it is one column, so it's not that much of a wonder anymore. But it was back then, we're told. Um, And this temple was dedicated to the worship of a goddess named Artemis. Artemis 
is the goddess of fertility. And for that reason, I'm not going to show a picture of her because we value intergenerational worship here, and we want to continue to make that a safe space. Uh, but you can imagine why people would want to come from all around and worship here in Ephesus, right? Um, they'd come from all over the known world to Ephesus to worship Artemis. And like any good tourist town, Ephesus had a booming industry in souvenirs, right? Well, maybe they didn't think they were exactly souvenirs. They were, they were, they were little silver idols that they would make of Artemis. So what would happen would be people would travel from all over the world. They'd come to Artemis to the temple at Ephesus and worship Artemis, and, and then they would buy this little idol, right? And they would take it home with them. And they'd create a shrine in their home to Artemis, along with whatever other gods they had, and they would worship her there. And this is a booming industry in Ephesus. Okay, so, big city, worshipped Artemis, sold lots of souvenirs. And at this point, where we pick up our story, Paul has been preaching here for about two and a half years, and he's about to leave. This is where our story begins. If you're interested in reading it sometime, it's actually found in Acts 19. Acts 19. And so here it is. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. I love that language. No little disturbance. This is kind of a big deal what's about to happen. Um, the way is what people used to call Christians before they called them Christians. Followers of the way, right? So they're Christians, and there's a, a disturbance because of them. For a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. They have made so much money selling these little idols. I mean, if it's a silver statue, it's already worth something. But if it's a goddess, and more importantly, if the people buying her are from out of town, you can really jack up the prices a lot. <laughs> So they have made their wealth at this, but because of the way, things are not going so well. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also almost all of Asia, in other words, this whole land over which Ephesus presides, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Paul's been wandering around for two and a half years saying there's one God, his name is Jesus, and everybody else who claims to be a God or goddess is just an imposter, just something made with hands. So obviously, this is upsetting the silversmiths. They've made a lot of money off the fact that people believe this is a God, and they believe so as well. But now, their revenue has been undercut by the truth of who God is. So, this guy Demetrius... He gets all his buddies together, and he does what any sensible person does when he comes upon economic trouble. He starts a riot. He walks out into the marketplace with his buddies, and they start chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they just keep chanting, and to everyone's shock, it actually works. These people around them start saying, Yeah, yeah, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Yeah, and they start chanting together. And all of a sudden, this crowd grows so big that they can't even fit in this outdoor marketplace anymore. There's too many of them. So they start to spill over into the theater, the public theater at Ephesus. This is a picture of the public theater at Ephesus. That thing is enormous. Archaeologists will um, guess that somewhere between 24 and 25,000 people could fit in this thing. 
Right? Just to give you a little bit of context, Kauffman Stadium, where our first place Royals play, is, can seat 27,000 people. Okay, so that's what we're dealing with here. So this crowd is going nuts. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The text tells us that most people don't even know why they're there, but they, everyone's chanting, and they get caught up in it, and they spill over into this theater. And on their way in, they see a couple of Christians who are just kind of at the wrong place at the wrong time. Their names are Gaius and Aristarchus. Gaius and Aristarchus. If anybody's looking for a name for a boy, Gaius and Aristarchus, I think, have not been touched for a couple of centuries. Gaius and Aristarchus get grabbed because they're just there. The crowd brings them into the theater at Ephesus, puts them up on the stage, and 25,000 people who are actively hating these two Christians are chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And this goes on, the text tells us, for two whole hours. Can you imagine that? For two hours, these two for the story's sake, random Christians are stuck in front of 25,000 people who are so angry at them, and anything can happen. So some years later, when Paul writes this letter to this church, he has events just like these in mind. This is a place where Christians are not welcome. But imagine you're in this story. This is kind of a stretch, but just imagine with me that as you're leaving church today, there's this angry crowd of people walking up Baltimore, and they're chanting, probably not great as Artemis of the Ephesians, but maybe, they're chanting, chanting, and they see you come out of the church, and aha, we're supposed to be a man of Christians, and there's a Christian because they were in church, so they grab you. They take you over to Kauffman Stadium, right? They put you on the pitcher's mound, and this full Kauffman Stadium, I know, again, this is a stretch, but just imagine with me. Kauffman Stadium is full of people, right? And they're chanting, and they're mad. They don't even know why they're supposed to be there, but they know they're mad at Christians, and you're there. You're the Christian. How would you get through that? With your life, with your physical safety in the balance for hours, how do you leave that stadium trusting in God? remaining faithful to him. Well, it's, it's not likely that that exact scenario is going to play out, but, but for those of us who call ourselves Christians, disciples of Christ, our faith will get tested. That's promised to us. Listen to what Jesus has to say to some of his disciples right off the bat. In this world, you will have trouble because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Or listen to what John has to say. This was Jesus' best friend. He was writing a letter to Christians. And he said, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. The world is going to resist the faith that we have. But this isn't the only time that our faith will be tested. It's not even that people detest us for being committed to God. It's even more than that. There are plenty of devoted disciples to Christ all over this church who are getting Bad medical reports, whose families are falling apart, who are losing their jobs and their homes. When our faith gets tested, and it will get tested, how do we remain faithful to God? How does our faith endure? Well, Paul writes a letter to a church who are daily having their faith tested. And in that letter, he tells them, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. 
And so we get a glimpse in our passage today at a prayer that Paul prays over his church. And so listen with me now as we turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul starts, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. That language is just key. Because at this time, nobody bows to pray. They pray standing up, they pray walking around. But when you bow to pray, you are so overcome with emotion. What you're about to pray is so central that you're on your knees begging God to bring it about. And that's what Paul is doing here. Whatever he's about to pray, it drives him to his knees because it is so important. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And here's the key, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice what Paul is not praying here. If our brothers and sisters are going through something like this, our prayer is likely to be something like, God, protect them. God, protect them physically, protect their family, protect their home, protect their jobs. Those aren't bad things to pray. Those are good things to pray. But that's not what drives Paul to his knees before God. Paul is asking that the people in this church would have such a knowledge of how much God loves them that no circumstance can tear them away from him. Because a disciple's faith is able to endure all things only when it is based in a growing knowledge of God's love. Of all things in this world, the only thing that is unwavering that we can always trust to be true is God's love for us, for you. You've heard it said that the only two constants in this world are death and taxes, right? But there, there is one thing that is even more constant than that. There is one thing that has even overcome death. There is one thing that is more likely to continue than politicians wanting our money, and that is that God loves us. God loves you. And people who are growing in the knowledge of this truth are people who have a security, who have a peace that's not rooted in any circumstance in this world, not their possessions, not their relationships, nothing, except for God's love for them. These are the kind of disciples we're about multiplying at Christ's community. We want the disciples here at this church to be so sure and so taken by the fact that God loves them that their faith will endure all things. Don't we want that? I want that. I want so desperately to know fully as much as I can the fact that God loves me, that God's love for us will never leave us or forsake us no matter what happens, no matter what we do. God loves us. And so if you want that too, then we need to ask the question, well, how do we know this? How can we know this? Well, Paul's prayer for his church tells us that community is the key to growing in the knowledge of God's love for us. Community is the key 
to growing in the knowledge of God's love for us. And we can see this in a couple places in this passage. The first is kind of difficult to see. In English, we don't do a great job of differentiating between you, singular, and you, plural. Unless you're from the South, in which case you, plural, is y'all. Um, or you're from a more obscure, scarier part of the South, and it's yins. That's actually real. Uh, Paul is writing with a collective group in mind. Every time you see you in this passage, it's y'all. It's you, plural. He's not writing to individuals, but he makes this point even more explicit than that. Look with me at verse 18. When Paul asks that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love for us? And then again in verse 21 when he says to him, be the glory. It's the only time this ever shows up anywhere in the New Testament. To him be the glory in the church. Not in individuals. Not in the preacher. In the church. This is a corporate goal for us. We can't do this on our own. On our own. Hear me say this. There is no amount of personal Bible study, right, individual disciplines, that can substitute the power of a community together submitted to God's word and seeking the knowledge of his love for them. Those individual disciplines are important things, but they cannot, apart from community in God, produce an unwavering faith that will endure all things. And the reason community is the place where we can know God's love is because it's through other people that God shows us how much he loves us, right? Think about your time of deepest need, your most vulnerable moment when somebody reached out a helping hand or a listening ear. Maybe they um, fixed a car for you or made you a meal. In those moments, God is saying through that person, I love you. And we can't hear that if we're not in community. And this is why Paul is writing these letters. Some of you may know this. When Paul writes this letter, in probably Colossians and maybe even Philemon, he is, he's in prison in Rome, right? And in the isolation of his jail cell, when he is starved for the community of his fellow disciples, he writes to them. And all throughout his letters, he's asking them, send people to me, send people to me. Send people to me to tell me how you're doing. This is why at Christ Community... We multiply churches. This is why we add services. We don't ever want to run out of space for people to come and meet God's love for them and learn just how deep God's love for them is. We don't want to run out of space for that because the key to growing in the knowledge of God's love for us is in community. And that knowledge is what will produce a faith that endures. So what are we going to do about it? Well, actually, the question is more, what are you going to do about it? If you want this, if you are or want to be a disciple of Christ who is so sure that God loves them, that God loves you, then you've got to be engaged in the local church. You've got to be engaged in the local church. And at Christ Community, we've set that up to happen in two places. First, it happens on Sunday mornings. If you want to be a disciple of Christ who is growing in the knowledge of God's love for you at Christ's community, you've got, to be, you've got to prioritize engagement 
in church on Sunday mornings. There's no substitute for it. Believe me, I've actually tried. And I'd love to say this was a long time ago, but it was actually in seminary um, that I tried. I had this really nasty habit of leaving papers and tests until like the day before they were due. Like 15-page research papers. You knew it was coming all semester. You'd think that you would see it coming and work ahead, but no. I would leave it till the very last day. And this was a particular, particular issue when the next day was, when Monday was the day it was due, which meant I needed to give Sunday to doing it. And I felt so bad about not going to church because I'm in seminary, right? I've got to go to church. So what I would do is I'd wake up in the morning, I'd get a cup of coffee, put in my headphones, I'd listen to a couple worship songs and a podcast of a sermon, and I'd pray about it, and I'd say, I've been to church. That was not church. In fact, as I thought about this, I realized that our ability to get every other part of church, the sermon, the songs, the food, any of it, tells us that community is what church is all about. It's the only thing we can't get in the safety of our own homes. There's a biblical author who actually warns about this very thing. The writer of the book of Hebrews has this to say, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, <clears throat> me, but encouraging one another. <laughs> Friends, don't make it your habit to neglect gathering together, because it's here that we stir each other up to pursue a knowledge of God, to pursue a love and devotion to God. It's only here. We want to multiply disciples here at Christ Community who are committed to engaging the church on Sunday morning. Not because we care about numbers, not because we want to look good because our church is full. Not that at all. But we believe, right along with the earliest church leaders, right along with Paul, that people who are committed to engagement in this place will meet God's love for them. So you've got to prioritize coming to church on Sunday mornings. And second, you've got to prioritize getting into a community group got to prioritize getting into your community group. Together with Sunday mornings, we use this language here, we believe community groups are our primary discipleship pathway. For anyone, regardless of where you're at in your faith journey, to, to be a disciple of Christ, you've got you to get involved in a community group. Listen to this wise observation that the author of Ecclesiastes, this little Old Testament book, has to say. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We place such a high priority on community groups for exactly this reason, that when you fall, and you will fall, you will have someone to pick you up. That when you face the hardest times in this life, you will not face it alone. Because I wonder, and I'm just speculating, but I wonder how that story in the beginning would have gone if Gaius was alone in the theater at Ephesus. If 25,000 people were directing their anger and hatred at him alone. But because he was in the theater together with his fellow disciple. In the depth of this trial, they were able to be strong. They were able to endure because they were together. 
okay, so that's my spiel for community groups, right? But you may say, well, that's all great arguments, that's all fine, but we want to know, we want to hear stories. I love that. There are people all over the place in here who have great stories about how they were seen through a difficult time in their life by their community group. We could spend all day hearing those stories, but we won't. But I'd love for you to hear these three. Check out this video. Hi, my name is Asher Hughes, and I design buildings for a firm in Kansas City. My name is Julie Mitchell. I'm a PhD student at the University of Kansas Medical Center. I study uh, T-cell development and leukemia. My name is Brandon Haverty. I work at Red Legacy. Uh, it's a commercial real estate firm, um, and we do retail uh, shopping center development in, in Kansas City and surrounding markets. Well, I think my journey of faith starts from a really young age, as early as six or seven, just really having, um, just really being drawn to God and, and believing in God being something really easy for me, and um, but just not really knowing who that God was, uh, if it was the God of Jesus or Hinduism or whatever other religion has to offer. And so I think it was just a, a long journey of trying to figure that out. Um, but still always just kind of struggling with, with, with church and um, maybe being a little turned off by it, not wanting, not wanting really a religion or laws or legalism, but really wanting a, a life to live and a relationship. And um, so there was a long, a long journey that um, I kind of lived as, like, as a homeless Christian, as, as Tom would say, um, trying to live out a faith by myself and ultimately coming to realize that I couldn't do it by myself and that I needed other people and that people really needed me and that I had something to offer too. And um, so I think it was just a few years ago where I started to inch my way into Christ Community. I found Christ Community actually through the young adult group, the church I was at before. There weren't really any young single 20 and 30 year olds um, and that was fellowship with that group of people, something I was missing in in my walk with Christ and in my church um, life. I found Christ Community uh, at the time, uh, had a girlfriend and we were looking around at different churches, stumbled upon Christ Community just because of the beautiful outside uh, uh, structure there at Brookside. Uh, happened to go one Sunday um, and really uh, enjoyed the sermon, uh, the music, uh, the worship of it. It felt uh, it felt, uh, strangely enough, kind of just very comfortable. It was just kind of a long journey of really trying to finally figure out what I think the Bible talks about through the whole book is that uh, you can't do anything without Him and um, that you need Him for everything and that His grace is sufficient. And, um, yeah, that... Nobody's going to be perfect. We're going to still strive to towards perfection, but um, just understanding just the grace that he, that he offers. After the service, we were, happened to meet a, a couple that um, were talking to us about a potential uh, community group Bible study they were starting uh, there in about a month or so, and so they took down our contact information, and, and you know, we had kind of made a contact with, within the church at that point, and so we continued to go. 
um, in those weeks to follow before the community group started. Unfortunately, uh, my girlfriend and I uh, happened to break up, and so um, I had emailed her and asked if she was going to go, and she said that she wasn't going to go. She was going to go back to the, the church she was previously going to, so that that first Tuesday that the community group started, I showed up. And I had met four of the uh, 12 people or 11 people that uh, were going to be attending the community group previously, and the other ones I, I did not know at all. And so when I, I walked in, it was, it, was, it was kind of interesting and funny um, that it was four married couples uh, and then a couple that was engaged, and then myself. And so as we're kind of going around sharing, uh, getting to know each other, you know, I, I asked, is it all right if I continue to be here? Because it seems like this is a, more of a couple's Bible study, and, you know, I'm coupleless. Um, and they all laughed and, and said, no, we're, we're glad to have you. It just kind of happened this way. But, uh, no, we want you to keep on coming. This is absolutely the Bible study for you. As I've grown older and really as I've delved deeper into my faith and really understood what it is to be a Christian, um, I found that I, I want to get involved in the lives of the younger generation um, to let them know the things that I've learned and um, really just be a part of their walk and their faith. And um, I found, too, that it's for people my age, we're looking for the same thing in the, in the, next, the generation before us. So we're looking for those mentors who've already walked where we've walked and can help us along our own path. For me, it's the community group has been the, the single biggest factor uh, in, my, in my growth the last 12 to 14 months. I, I don't see how I could have grown without getting involved. And, and for me, just simply going to church on Sundays, uh, patting myself on the back as I walked out the door, and then waiting again for next Sunday. Um, you know, now it's, it's something in the middle of the week that uh, brings my attention to the Lord again. You know, they've encouraged me for daily devotions. We have reading through the Bible study that, uh, you know, comes up periodically. And it's just the constant touches I get through the community group that, you know, always keeps me, you know, centered uh, around the Lord, even, you know, just during a general work week. I'm really thankful for the things I'm learning. I think we have uh, some really smart leadership here who has a good theology and, and a good approach to life. And um, I think we have pastors that really pastor and are shepherds. Um, I think it's really evident with the leadership here. And um, really thankful for the friendships that I've built, too. I think uh, we were really... It's iron sharpening iron, as, as one of my friends said, and I think um, we really sharpen one another and, and encourage one another. And, um, yeah. Okay, so maybe after all of that, you remain unconvinced that coming to community groups and to church on Sunday is a place where you're going to meet and find God's love for you. Or maybe community for you is just really scary. I get that. It's hard to be open and vulnerable with people, to let people see um, things that we guard ourselves from having to expose. I get it. But let me encourage you. I'm so confident in this. I'm so confident in this. I'm going to extend a challenge. Okay? In two weeks from today, a couple things are going to happen. September 14th is two Sundays from today. We're gonna, first, we're going to start a new sermon series. The new sermon series is going to be called Jesus Listens, Sharing Jesus the Way Jesus Did. Okay, so that starts in two weeks. It's going to run for eight weeks, starting on September 14th. Also starting on September 14th and running for eight weeks is going to be our fall session of community groups. Okay, so here's my challenge to you. My challenge is for you to commit 
to eight weeks to be, on, to be in church on Sunday and to be in your community group during the week for eight weeks. I'm not asking for a year, not asking for six months, but just eight weeks to prioritize being in church on Sunday and in your community group during the week. And I, I promise you, if you stick it out, if you don't, don't quit after three weeks when somebody says something in community groups that makes you mad, if you stick it out, I promise you, you will come out the other side having a renewed or a new understanding of how much God loves you. That's my challenge for you today. If signing up for community groups online is something that um, is new for you or maybe technology is kind of scary, I'm actually going to go right over by the, the piano table after the service with my computer. I'll walk you through how to do it. I don't want there to be any reason uh, for you to not sign up for community groups starting this week, okay? So, Paul says all these things because he wants so desperately for his church to know how much God loves them. And that's what we want for you too. This is an enormous ask, but our God is capable. So let's finish in prayer, hearing the words that Paul prays over his congregation. Father, we are so thankful that you have designed us to be in community to know you. Help us, Lord, as we go forward to have a deeper knowledge of that which is unknowable, that which is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love for us. But you are capable, God, and now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.